Good morning, friends. Lovely to, to welcome you um, and see you all. My name is Ollie Benyon. As Stuart said, I'm, one, I'm the associate vicar here. And um, uh, if you don't know me, I'm married to Lois. I have three kids. Been here just over six years. And it's joy to, to open this text and preach this morning. Uh, if you have your Bible open, do keep that open. Now, um, when I was uh, a young man, I enjoyed watching the now classic film, The Princess Bride. I don't know if anyone here has watched The Princess. There's a few nods. Uh, put your hand up if you've watched The Princess Bride. Okay, there's a few of you. Okay, and some of you are also looking around going, what is this cult classic of a film that I have missed? Well, for those who are clearly ignorant on classic fairy tale movies of the late 80s, let me explain the plot. Um, it is a fairy tale about a beautiful princess who falls in love with a handsome young man. Standard beginning, yes. But before they can get married, the beautiful princess is, is kidnapped by a scheming, bald little man and his two friends, the slow but good-hearted giant and the Italian swordfighter. And while these kidnappers are trying to get away, that's basically the concept of the film, they're always trying to get away, the bald little man keeps saying his favorite word. Anyone know what it is? Inconceivable. There you go. People know this. Well done. Inconceivable. And every time he says it, we, we, we laugh. Why? Because every time he thinks something is absolutely, totally, in every way, completely inconceivable, it happens. Now, I've uh, put a little mashup kind of of this, uh, this footage on the screen. So let's just watch a little mashup of those inconceivable moments. Here we go. Why are you doing that? Making sure nobody's follow us. That would be inconceivable. Despite what you think, you will be caught. Stop doing that. We can all relax. It's almost over. Not sure nobody's follow us. As I told you, it would be absolutely, totally, and in all other ways, inconceivable. He's climbing the rope. And he's gaining on us. Inconceivable. Faster! I thought I was going faster. You got very good arms. He didn't fall! Inconceivable! You keep using the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. Inconceivable! Why are you doing okay, that? That's it, that's it. We'll just not keep repeating it back and forth. Okay. It is, uh, it, you know, if you haven't watched it before, it's worth, it's worth a watch. Maybe good for the kids. It's fun. Anyway, now why did I make you watch this? Well, other than it's a, it's a classic film. I even discovered a bunch of the 20s and 30s watched it this weekend who are here today. So that is just extraordinary. Well done, Matt Lewis. Um, well, when God makes a promise to Sarah, and Sarah says, in this passage, pardon the pun, inconceivable, we didn't laugh. Why not? Because she was right. She was unable to conceive. In fact, Sarah did laugh, and Abraham laughed, and they laughed because the thing that God promised was absolutely, totally, and in every other way, completely inconceivable. Now, 
If you've been listening to our series over the last uh, three or four weeks, um, you'll have been hearing all our stories uh, in going through the story of Abraham. I just want to wind the clock back uh, for those of us and just give us a little recap of what's happened so far. Um, Becca, a number of weeks ago, she began a series on Abraham in chapter 12, where Abraham, um, Abraham and Sarai, their former names, uh, had been married. They've been married a long time. They were, Abraham was in his 70s, uh, Sarah in her 60s, and had, they'd never had children, which in the ancient world, which, which was a shameful thing for them, uh, Abraham's uh, family line would be, would be cut off. Then God makes a promise to Abraham. God tells him two amazing things. This is what Becca told us. I will make you into a great nation. And Abraham's like, uh, how is that possible? I don't have any kids and then the Lord says, I will bless your family, and through that nation, I will bless all nations. You are blessed to be a blessing. I love that little line. You are blessed to be a blessing. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and tell them you are blessed to be a blessing. Go on, do that right now. Yeah, that's, isn't that great? That is true for us today. If you know and love the Jesus, you are blessed to be a blessing. Now, this is a massive promise to a couple who, who can't have kids. I don't know how you would respond to such a promise uh, yourself. Well, as we see in the next few chapters, we see how these real people wrestle with their real faith. And it, it's, not, it's not pretty. A particular low point is when uh, they go to Egypt, and Abraham is afraid that the Egyptians will kill him, and because of, of the beauty of his wife. And uh, he comes up with a, with a horrendous plan. He says in verse 13 of this chapter, he says, Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. He's so worried that what will happen to him, that he's willing to, to throw his wife Sarai under, under a, a kind of a bus, really. He's not a nice man. What a terrible thing to do. Then Stuart, he talked in chapter 15, where God gives another a reminder of his promise to him. God says, I am your shield. Your reward will be great. Just affirming what will happen. And when Abraham doubted God, because you know, his only heir at that point was, was a servant girl, God says, look up at the sky, Abraham. Try to count the stars. That's how many children I will give you. And the Lord confirms his promise with Abraham by asking him to cut an animal in half. And the Lord takes the form of a, of a smoking pot and floats between them. It's a bit of a strange imagery. But in those days, walking through a cut-up animal was a sign of a, a lasting contract between people. And so God is saying, my promise to you is real. It can be trusted. But Sarah, she's not, she's not buying it. She knows her own body she can't have children. So as Yana spoke last week in chapter 17, she comes up with a, with a plan B to, to help the Lord along. Hey, Abraham, make a baby with my servant girl. Uh, okay. And that's as much convincing as he needed. And then, bam, along comes Ishmael. Abraham loves him. Sarai gets jealous. Things get ugly. It is a mess. 
so much pain. This is a story of selfishness, lying, unbelief, bitterness, meddling, adultery, jealousy, conflict. Now a single mum is on the run. A little boy didn't, who didn't quite know where he stood with his father. A marriage that is under strain. Clear disobedience from God. What a mess this situation is. And the fear that drives all of this is they know they're old people. As the chapter goes on, the clock keeps ticking and the promise seems more and more inconceivable. When the Lord first approached Abraham in, uh, in that chapter 12, he was 75, Sarai was in her kind of 60s. And by chapter 18, where we're looking at today, which uh, uh, um, uh, they both, um, Abraham uh, is 99 and Sarah is 90. They've got their new names now, Abraham and Sarah. And that's 24 years of waiting. It's a long time waiting for the promise of God to be fulfilled. Gone was any glimmer of hope, especially in Sarah's mind, that this promise would be fulfilled. After all the mistakes they had made, if we looked at those chapters, there are many. It's littered with disobedience and just lack of faith and, and trying to do things their own way. Surely God has decided to take his plan and bless the Messiah to someone else. Surely he has a plan B. But then they receive three visitors. And we get to our chapter. In chapter 18, verse 1, it says this. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great tree of Mamre. While he was sitting at the entrance um, to his tent in the heat of the day, Abraham looked and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. So he's waiting, and then suddenly these three Three individuals approach. And now there is a long tradition that the three men in the story uh, could be, you know, were the three persons of the Trinity visiting Abraham. And there's even a, a painting, a 15th century painting by the Russian artist Andrei Rublev called The Hospitality of Abraham, depicting the scene. We've even got a picture of that. I'll just chuck it up as you, uh, uh, so you can see it. Maybe that will come up on the screen. And um, this is a picture of these three, uh, they're like angels and they're up. Uh, outside this, uh, this tree of Mamre, and uh, there it is. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wonderful painting, um, though it, it's, it's probably wrong as a, as a painting. It probably isn't the situation that is what's happening in Genesis 18. We, um, we say, you can take that down, you say a little later on in verse 22 of this chapter, it says, the men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. And then chapter 19, verse 1, it says, we're told about two angels who arrived at Sodom. So we have two angels and the Lord in this story. That's what's, that was quite likely to what happens. And so, and so some also say, just to throw this in, some also say that the person of Abraham and Sarah meet uh, could even be the pre-incarnated of Jesus himself. Why is that a possibility? Well, in John 1.18, it says, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. No one has ever seen God, but the one 
and only son. So could this be the pre-incarnation of Jesus? Well, I, I, don't, I don't know. There's probably others who have made strong views about this. So I'm not going down there. Um, but either way, we see this picture of the Lord coming to meet with Abraham and Sarah. And the question we ask is, what happens when the Lord is faced with human sinfulness and failure and disappointment, all the mistakes they've made? And what happens when sinful people meet with God, who is perfect? What happens? Well, it starts in the story with Abraham making this lavish meal and being incredibly eager to do it. He goes into almost overdrive, running around uh, to, to make this happen. As I was just about to come up, my wife said to me, don't ever spring that kind of thing on me. If anyone turns up, don't just say, I'll make you a meal, because that is clearly a stressful occasion. And uh, you can see that in here. Verse 6, he hurried to his tent to Sarah, uh, straight in there, you know, I'll make you a meal. <laughs> wife, help me, uh, to his Sarah. He says, quick, he said, Bake some bread, no ordinary bread, you know, some, some use three sears of fine flour, you know, that type of bread, which I'm informed is like the real good bread. Get on, make that. And then he went to, in verse 7, he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to his servant who hurried to prepare it. And as all this preparation went on, the food got presented, Abraham sat and watched his guest eating, uh, eating this food. And at that point, a question is asked. A question is asked by the Lord. It says in verse 9, where is your wife, Sarah? Where is your wife, Sarah? And then Abraham says, well, she, she's, in, she's in the tent. And the Lord, I love this, he doesn't just want to meet with Abraham. This, this promise is for them both. It's not just for him. So he confirms his promise to them, knowing that Sarah would be able to hear. I don't know why Sarah wasn't brought out at that particular moment, but we know that Sarah was able to hear. And, but I also just like to think the Lord, he maybe spoke up a little bit louder at the moment. Just make sure that Sarah was definitely able to hear behind that tent. And he says this in verse 10, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son just to make sure she hears. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. And Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to himself as she thought, after I'm worn out, my Lord is old, and now I'll have this pleasure. Sarah laughed. Because at the age of 90, she had long ago finished crying or hoping. How many years was it? Probably not long after they were married, she began to be afraid that, that something was wrong. Month after month, year after year, she and Abraham loved and were loved. And in the morning, she'd wake and wonder, could it be that God is answering our prayers? Maybe this year, just maybe, God's promise will come true. Perhaps now is the time when I will bear this promised child. But it never was. That time never came. The midlife came and Sarah didn't, she didn't wonder anymore. She knew then that she would never have a son. And we can imagine Sarah 
as she would go about her work as usual, as if uh, nothing were the matter. But inside, she, she was crying. And sometimes, if you, if you looked closely, you would see a tear in her eye. But those days, they were long past. Sarah didn't cry anymore. So when the Lord came again to renew the promise that she would have a son, she did the only natural reaction. She laughed. She laughed. Actually, we don't see it in this chapter, but the chapter before, Abraham also laughed at this, this promise. But he, he just covered up a little bit better. Yeah, he, he said one thing to God while he was thinking another thing to himself. You know, this is ridiculous. No, this is not possible. Sarah and Abraham laughed because God's timing was completely off. It didn't make sense. It was impossible. And after she laughed, we see in this passage, the Lord challenged her. Verse 13, why did Sarah laugh? Is anything too hard for the Lord? The way the question is asked makes the answer obvious. And I'm sure Sarah would have agreed, no, of course not. Nothing is too impossible for the Lord. It's nothing's too hard. God can do anything. Abraham and Sarah yeah, would have believed that. But after a lifetime of disappointment, a lifetime of barrenness, they laughed and they denied laughing. And what I just love about this chapter, when I first read it, and how, just notice how beautiful it was, is a story of the father sitting down over a meal with a struggling couple who are finding it increasingly hard to believe in the promises of God over their lives. It's an incredibly pastoral, loving picture. The Lord says to the couple, is anything too hard for the Lord? Another word for it, um, that word hard can be quite difficult to translate. Another word is, is anything too wonderful or, or too marvelous or too surprising or too uh, extraordinary for the Lord? Is there anything too good for him to do? The Lord says, you think you're too old that I, I can't do it. Nothing is impossible for me. You think you've messed up too much, but nothing is too wonderful for me. And a little later on, in chapter 21, we see this. We read this in verse 1, chapter 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God promised him. And in verse 6 of that chapter, Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And you know what they named their child? They named him Laughter. The name Isaac means laughter. What an extraordinary story of restoration 
and bringing just fulfillment in an extraordinary promise. This is our God, the same God that is in this story speaking and bringing restoration to this couple lives in you today. He is more wonderful than you let yourself believe each day. So how do we apply uh, such a story, such a wonderful thing, to even just this wonderful concept to know? Well, first I just want to say this isn't a story about God sorting out Abraham and Sarah's personal dreams of being parents. But I also want to say that there will be people here, I am sure, that this whole uh, situation, the story of fertility or, or not being able to have kids, maybe you're not married, maybe you didn't have kids, have the opportunities come and gone, it could be incredibly painful for you to even hear this story and to think about these things. And I want to tell you this morning that I believe and I know for sure that the Lord is with you in your pain, in your suffering, and in your anguish. And I also know the Lord, he can bring, um, he can bring healing if that is something that is needed in that situation, both spiritually or physically or whatever way. Lord, we, we, we would love to pray for you and with you uh, if that is something you would love to, uh, to happen at the end. Please do come and speak to myself or Stuart uh, at the end of the service. But this story that we're looking at today is a story about God fulfilling his promise to Abraham that his family line would bring the future Messiah and the gospel of salvation to all people. Now, God's promises and his word are not about giving you or me a good house or, or a spouse or finances or, or dream jobs. Yes, we believe God cares about these things. And there are many, if I walked around here asking you, would be able to testify the incredible provision and the goodness of God in maybe some of those areas. But God's real promises for us, the ones that we can hold on to, what he guarantees are far bigger than our temporary longings. Abraham and Sarah learned this through the years of waiting and having to let go of their own hopes and dreams and aspirations of this life. But our God is so wise and so kind that he has a vision and wisdom to know what is really good for us. Romans 8, 28 says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. If you love the Lord, then the promise we hold on to are gospel-sized promises. Promises about our future hope, our destiny, our purpose. Just this week, um, I just met a neighbor who came to my door, and he was just grieving the sudden loss of his wife of 35 years to, to cancer. And the whole process had been less than three months, and nearly half of that, um, his wife had been in hospital. And as he wept on my doorstep, just unable to hold back the tears. He told me what brought him comfort in this moment was that she loved Jesus. And he had certainty and confidence that she was with him now in heaven. 
And then we got to pray together, me and him. And it was quite an emotional thing on the street, basically praying and just giving thanks to the Lord for this fulfilled promise that um, she is now with her Lord in heaven. And there was no greater gift I could have given him at that moment uh, uh, than the promise of this future hope that, um, that, that he knew his wife had and also he had. Do you know this assurance in your life today? Do you really know it? I know we talk about it a lot. In many ways, you've come to church. Maybe that's an assumption that maybe you do. But do you know this, this assurance, this promise that you have in your life today? Maybe there are some here today who feel this future hope is just beyond them. For their life is too messy, too dark for him to manage, too, your life is too much for him to handle. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. You may think you are the worst person in this room right now. That God would love me inconceivable. Nothing is too difficult for him. Just want to say, Romans 8, a few verses later to what we read, Romans 8, 32, it says, if God is for us, who could be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us, won't he also give us everything in self? Everything else. God is for you. And his promise will come true. How do we know? Because God the Father did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. God gave him up for you. And Jesus chose to humbly take our mess and our mistakes and go to the cross. The promise that was fulfilled with Abraham and Sarah leads all the way to the moment where Jesus fulfilled the greatest promise of them all. That when we receive him as our Lord and Savior, we are forgiven and are welcome to come into the glorious inheritance with him in heaven. What an amazing promise we get to hold on to. You may think this is inconceivable, but nothing is too hard for the Lord. So friends, as I finish, the miracle is that despite all the evidence that points otherwise, maybe we look around the world, I just don't see the, how the Lord is going to deal with all this. Despite all the laughs, all the denials, the bargains, the doubts that we have, in a little while Jesus will come to us, and in him all God's promises will be yes. Fulfilled beyond our highest dreams and our deepest prayers. And then we'll be to bow down and we will worship with all the other Abrahams and all the other Sarahs and cry out, my Lord and my God. Let me pray for us as we end. Lord God, we are so grateful that your promises are things we can hold on to and have complete certainty and conviction. Your promises are gospel-sized promises, promises about our future, our future hope, our, our destiny, our purpose 
in life. And Lord, help us now to lift our gaze and to, and to believe them to be true in our, in our own situations right now. And Lord, this picture of, um, of you coming to meet with Abraham and Sarah over a meal, this kind of pastoral picture of you meeting with them in their situation, in their despair, their fears, their worries. Lord, we, we welcome you now. And maybe you are here. You are feeling, uh, actually, I would love to meet with the Lord now and, and uh, for him to, to uh, reassure me and to remind me of these promises that he has uh, in my life. And, uh, and um, Lord, I pray that you would meet with them where they are in the particular situation they're in. Lord, we welcome you to meet us. Help us to lift our gaze. Help us to cling hold of what you have for each of us. In your mighty name. Amen.